Hello and welcome to I Want to Fight Araki, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure close analysis podcast. I'm Thomas. And I am literally literally Araki talking about his own show and manga <laughs> with you guys today and in here, here in the studio. It is me. <laughs> and we got some pretty wacky episodes, kind of terrifying episodes as well in their own special ways. Um yeah, we got we got a we we got some stuff to break down for sure. Some some stuff that we don't normally talk about probably a little bit as well. Um, so to get into that, let's go over the summary. After the fight with Akira, Jotaro gathers Josuke, Okuyasu, Koichi, and Joseph together to go over everything. Jotaro managed to secure the stand arrow from Akira's apartment and discovered nearly five hundred thousand yen in stolen goods. Akira, terrified of retaliation from Jotaro, agrees to stay in prison, and Jotaro suggests that Red Hot Chili Peppers is essentially useless after the fight and not worth worrying about anymore. The only missing thread is the stand users created under Akira's control of the arrow, and Jotaro decides to investigate. Meanwhile, Josuke and Joseph walk to the bus station, allowing Josuke allowing Joseph to visit Tomoko, but only if he watches her from far away. Joseph, in his old age, however, has become confused and accidentally takes the wrong bus, which Josuke runs to stop. Josuke stops after catching Joseph for a moment to catch his breath, and Joseph begins to hear a baby giggling and mysterious handprints nearby. Josuke writes it off as another delusion of Joseph, but when a rabid dog lunges in the direction of the handprints, Joseph uses Hermit Purple to ensnare what appears to be an invisible baby. Josuke and Joseph quickly deduce it as a stand user and decide that they need to take care of it until they find its mother. The duo head to a baby store and Joseph, unsure of what to buy for the baby, uses Josuke's credit card and erroneously spends 130,000 yen on baby items. After dressing up the baby and covering her in in makeup, things seem to be going well until the baby turns invisible again, making Joseph's hands invisible too. This causes Josuke and Joseph to panic, leading to the baby's fear response to trigger the power of its stand, Akatung Baby, to create larger and larger larger fields of invisibility. In the kerfuffle, the carriage where the baby was being kept falls into a river, but remains invisible, making it difficult to find. In an act of self-sacrifice, Joseph slits his wrist, causing blood to leak into the river and turn it red. This makes it easy for Josuke to save the baby with Crazy Diamond, and Josuke begins to understand just what kind of man his father is. Later at home, Josuke discovers the receipt for his credit card as Joseph begins to take care of the baby full-time. One day, when Koichi is walking home from school, he runs into Hazamata, newly released from the hospital. They begin to talk and both discover the other is a fan of a popular manga series called Pink Dark Boy, written and drawn by a man named Rohan Kishibe. Hazamata also shares that he's discovered that the creator also lives in Morio. The two decide to visit the house in hopes of getting an autograph, but when Koichi knocks on the door, he is violently grabbed by Rohan. Koichi panics, but when Rohan realizes the situation, he calmly invites them inside and gives them a tour of his studio. The two are enamored by everything, but suddenly Rohan notices a spider on Hazamata's hair and grabs it. He explains his philosophy when it comes to drawing, that an artist needs to understand every aspect of a thing in reality in order to render it properly. To that end, he cuts open the spider with an X-Acto knife and begins licking it. This disturbs the two, even causing Hazamata to throw up, but ro- and even causing Hazamata to throw up. Rohan leaves the room to get an autograph pen as well as some tea and cookies afterwards. Afterward, and afterwards, Koichi tells Hazamata that he has a bad feeling and that he wants to leave. Hazamata says they can, but only after looking at Rohan's new unpublished manuscript. They open up the envelope and read it, only for a green energy to erupt from the pages. Rohan re-enters the room and says that they've looked upon his stand, Heaven's Door. Suddenly, Koichi and Hazamata's bodies begin to twitch, and their skin begins to peel off, revealing pages of books underneath. Rohan reads the pages of Koichi's face and discovers everything about what's transpired. The arrival of Jotaro and Morio, Koichi's development of Echoes, and all the fights he's experienced. Rohan is fascinated by Koichi's life and intends to incorporate him into his manga, but Koichi defends himself with Echo's Act 2. 
Koichi attempts to attack Rohan, but continually misses, Rohan explaining that not only does Heaven's Door allow him to read people's history, but also change their behavior. After examining Hazamata, he finds him disgusting and goes back to Koichi, leading him to tear out pages from Koichi's face for material. When Koichi and Hazamata leave, however, they don't acknowledge anything wrong has happened, and despite Koichi somehow having lost 20 kilograms of weight, he immediately forgets about it. The next day, Koichi is compelled back into Rohan's house, but unbeknownst to him, Josuke and Okuyasu secretly follow behind, worried for their friend. Inside the house, Rohan continues to use Koichi's memories as material, but Rohan notices Okuyasu and Josuke snooping outside. While Rohan is distracted, Koichi manages to crawl his way downstairs and open the door, but because of the writing Rohan did inside Koichi, Koichi is unable to inform the duo of Rohan's misdeeds. Eventually, Koichi walks back up to the studio, but when he does, Rohan is able to sense that something is wrong, when suddenly Okuyasu jumps in through the window to save Koichi. Rohan remains unfazed, however, and when the hand attacks him, he shows Okuyasu a panel, triggering Heaven's Door and Okuyasu and the hand to fall apart. Not only that, but Rohan is able to sense Josuke hiding behind the door to the studio. Okuyasu suggested Josuke that he should go and get Jotaro, but when he does so, he begins to light himself on fire, a precaution Rohan in wrote into Okuyasu should Josuke try to help them. With no other options, Josuke runs at Rohan, eyes closed to avoid Heaven's Door. Rohan throws razors at Josuke to get him to open his eyes, but Josuke remains unfazed. After examining more of Koichi's pages, Rohan hits upon the idea of insulting Josuke's hair. He does so and shows him Heaven's Door, but Crazy Diamond is able to strike Rohan anyway. Completely baffled as to how Josuke could not be affected by Heaven's Door, Josuke unleashes a massive stand rush on Rohan with Crazy Diamond, hitting him into a bookshelf and being crushed by it. Okuyasu theorizes that Josuke must be so angry that he is essentially blinded by it. Okuyasu remains unsure as to why Josuke goes so bananas, but Koichi tells a story of why it might be the case. During the events of Stardust Crusaders, Josuke developed a dangerous fever when developing his stand. Unfortunately, Morio was facing a blizzard and Tomoko's car was stuck in a snowbank on the way to the hospital. Unable to save her son, suddenly a street punk wearing a pompadour helped them out of the snowbank, effectively saving Josuke's life. While Tomoko was never, never able to find the boy, Josuke wears his hair in a pompadour to honor the person who saved his life, even making him his personal hero. As Koichi recounts the story, Rohan appears out from under the bookshelf to jot notes, being so moved by Josuke's tale. Unfortunately for Rohan, Josuke notices, notices the manga artist crawl out from under the bookshelf and proceeds to beat the snot out of Rohan even more. End of episodes. Love a good Rohan. We do. Rohan's great. Rohan is also, uh, as we'll dive into later, he is the final major supporting character uh, which you may not necessarily predict based on the way that this episode goes. Somehow. It, it's all because he's a Rocky self-insert slash, um, I don't know. There's love no interest. Word. Yes, that. <laughs> I was trying to think of a word for it. It's it's both him and his love interest. Um, yeah. Um, at the same time. Which I, I'm not quite sure what that says about Rocky, but like, you know, we're not going to go into that. <laughs> I mean, <coughs> I, we... <laughs> We just have to briefly, briefly talk about um, the 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 picture that Araki drew of himself hugging <laughs> yeah. Rohan, and it's just so weird. They both look so happy. I know. It's, it's, like, it's... it's like this man has never felt true joy except for the moment where he drew this picture. And it's like they both <laughs> they both have the same exact facial expression. Yeah, exactly. and it's just very like wholesome, soft happiness, and it's just like. The way the hug is, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I, I wish I could have that. <laughs> Looks kind of gay to me, bro. <laughs> um, a little bit, Is maybe. it gay if it's a fictional character? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but um, all right. Where should we begin? I guess we should just begin at the beginning of these episodes, which would be the Joseph-focused episode. Um, we need a Shizuka Joestar spinoff, please. Yes. Um, 
Shizuka is the name of the baby. Um, and uh, I have to say, uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, honestly, some of the the fan art that people have thought up uh, for um, like a modern Shizuka. Uh, I, one of my favorites is um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a grown Shizuka, you know, and uh, she's, you know, wearing a normal school uniform, but it's like a shot of her from the back. And so it shows like a star, but um, the star is like really like a stain or something like that. Um, like rather than it like being a birthmark necessarily. And I, it's like a, I don't know, that's just like a really cool uh, idea for that. Um, we should probably talk about the episodes though and not fan art necessarily. But, but consider Shizuka Joestar would be the first Gen Z JoJo, which I feel like we absolutely require. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Important. We need it. <laughs> I mean, they have smartphones in uh, part eight, but they're yeah, not really be Gen memes. Z. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Right, old Joseph, so, perhaps. Yeah, old Joseph. Let's talk about old Joseph. So, Love old Joseph. He's fun. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, this episode is pretty slapsticky, I will say. Um, you know, it's a lot more of a comedy, but I, I think, um... It's just interesting to see these two characters together, um, you know, because we saw sort of at the end of the Red Hot Chili Peppers fight that um, Josuke was very caring towards Joseph, and he still kind of is in this episode. Um, reluctantly so. Yeah, but a lot more reluctantly, exactly. He's um, a good person, but, like, at the same time, he's like, this is my dad that I never knew, and he kind of, like, made my mom kind of sad, so, like but I'm a good person. So I'm going to do good things for him. But like, I can't get over that. And you know, speaking, that's the vibe. Speak, that is totally the vibe. You're right. And speaking of um, morality, I guess, I mean, I think it is interesting, like, cause you know, we've seen like Josuke is our main character. He's our protagonist for this part. So we've sort of seen everything from his perspective. Um, and from his perspective, it's very easy for him to sort of, dismiss joseph you know there's a lot of times in this episode where he's like oh he's senile and he's dumb and he's you know he he does stupid things and things like that um but i think the moment where joseph you know slits his wrist so that they can find um shizuka and josuke's kind of reaction to that is like you know like obviously like what joseph did you know cheating on um his wife with tomoko and you know essentially like leaving josuke to just be raised by his mother like we can all agree that that's a pretty bad thing to do um but at the same time it it's not as simple as joseph is a bad person you know i'm like we know that because we watched part two and part three but from josuke's perspective this is really the first time where he's seeing just how good of a person joseph can be um like when a person's life is in danger um which i just thought was interesting such a good bit um as you said it's definitely very like slapsticky but there's so many just good moments um let me consult my notes just so i can um take, <laughs> take a shot guys take a shot um, just, just so we can get that meme out of the way it's um, funny. Uh, on the other podcast I do, post game content, which you should check out on Spotify, by the way. Uh, we always make a point of bringing up like Sonic every episode, and now it's for this podcast. It's Emily checking her notes. <laughs> it's it's an important part of, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a good bit. As I said before, you know, Josuke is kind of reluctant to be nice to him because of like. You know, because my man loves his mom so much, unlike other JoJo's, cough, cough, Jotaro, cough, cough. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we established that Jotaro does love his mom, but Josuke is so much better at showing it. He yeah. he does it in a way by like, it, it almost seems as if being nice to Joseph and like calling him dad or calling him anything else would be like betraying his mom mm -hmm. because of the bad, well, the, the bad thing that he did. Definitely, yeah. Um, and yeah and I mean, joseph I, I also think it's interesting that um 
after the, 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 there was a bit where Josuke told you know him, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to call you dad. I'm just going to call you like um, Mr. Joseph, Jotaro, um, Jotaro, Joseph-san, Joestar-san. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Joestar. <laughs> Mr. Joestar. Uh, and, you know, he's like, you know, don't take it. Did you say don't take it personally? He did take it personally. And you know what? Don't even listen to me right now. I don't he know says, where I am. He says, he just, I mean, he explains why. He says, you know, it's just not. He's like, oh, yeah, because I don't really know you, so I'm not going to call you that. Mm-hmm. And what I really enjoyed and thought was interesting was that Joseph completely understood. He was like, he was disappointed, but he was still like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, and it's also the fact that he was disappointed. He wants him to like him. And then he does so in the coolest moment in like one of my favorite bits in part four. My man literally, it, it's, it's also great out of context. My man slits yeah. his invisible wrist <laughs> and like lets his blood leak into the, to the lake so they can like, so the color will turn invisible and they'll be able to find where Shizuka is. And then my man just like falls into the water and is like, I want it to look cool in front of you. Mm-hmm. like that's such a good bit i love it so and it's much. a very joseph thing to do you know it's it's like for him to uh like like joseph is all about like you know um as we've said many times before he's all about like being a trickster and illusion and like you know always kind of hiding who he truly is from his from people but um this is a very honest moment from him uh, you know, now that he's much older uh, and he sort of is coming to the end of his life, he's kind of like, you know, I have to be like honest with myself and I, you know, I have to be honest with my son and I have to be honest, you know, with just who I am as a person now. It also just makes his dad energy much more powerful because like that is mm-hmm. something that every true dad has said. I want to look cool in front of my kids <laughs> when they're with their friends. <laughs> I'm the cool dad. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's a it's a very heartwarming episode. I think as well. I was sort of thinking about this as to why maybe like like why uh, Joseph has such a an attachment to the baby. Um, and I'm almost kind of thinking it's like it, it, it's kind of a way for like Joseph to sort of redeem himself, um, where it's like. You know, he abandoned Josuke as a baby. Um, but now that there's an abandoned baby with who has, like, no mother or no father, uh, it's a way for Joseph to, you know, be there for the type of child that he wasn't there for with Josuke. Gosh, we need that content. So, like, if Iraqi ain't going to make it, someone's got to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I mean, the only it, JoJo um, doujinshi I will buy is about <laughs> Shizuka Joestar. Definitely. I mean, I would. I would. You know, even though at the at this point the old universe is uh, done, I would still. I would still love to see uh, a, a Shizuka story. I will say, if we can get into a bit of criticism real quick here, um, this is really the only like Joseph focused episode uh, for the remainder of Part Four. Um, like we're gonna see Joseph a couple more times, but he's not really gonna be like a central character in an episode. Um, and I have That's to say, that, interesting. This is like the end of you know his whole everything. Yeah, definitely. The end yeah. of Joseph. This is the last time we're gonna see Joseph. I mean, part four is the last time we're gonna see Joseph for the rest of the franchise. Um, and so, I, what's disappointing to me is that we never actually do get a scene where. Tomoko and Joseph uh, interact with each other because I feel yeah. like there, you know, there's the the drama that you could tap into there just kind of speaks for itself, you know, um, like this this man who was so attractive to Tomoko uh, is now like an old senile dude, um, no, you know, no longer the man he once was. And he, you know, abandoned their child. So, and as a mother, she's going to feel conflicted about that, but they never do anything with that. And it's just, it's, it's very disappointing to me. It's probably the, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to critique a series for something it doesn't do. Um, but I just feel like it, it's, it, it's so disappointing that it wasn't acted upon 
this opportunity. I feel like it's still a very valid criticism though, because it's such a big opportunity for some like really important closure and some really important character development for both Joseph and Tomoko and and Yosuke as well. Like Mm -hmm. if that happened, like that would have been awesome. There would have been so much good content there. Yeah. And And it was right there. It was such like a, it's the kind of thing that you would expect from it. It's like, oh, these two characters are in this place. Of course they have to meet up and talk. And especially if they have like, a past or some beef with each other which they do like mm-hmm. uh, yeah um i don't know uh i'm trying to think if there was anything else i wanted to say in the joseph episodes um was there anything else you want to talk about with those they tease rohan for like two seconds they do they do tease rohan uh i can't remember actually if we brought it up but you actually see rohan in the second episode he's one of the people standing outside the convenience store uh where uh josuke um punches that dude through the chest um a classic yeah so that's kind of interesting um well in that case i mean should we just move on to the rohan episodes rohan time so um as we've said uh rohan is going to be a character who he's the last major supporting character um, and I think now that he's been introduced, I can sort of, I mean, there's one more blip that we kind of have to go over with my theory about what, well, there's two more, there's two more blips about what we have to go over with my, uh, big theory about part four, but I guess I can just talk about it now. Um, is that really, I fund I think that the major theme and the major point of part four is that it's a story about, um, not it's not just a you know standard good versus evil story but it's about like how evil winning is just like not a natural part of the universe like the universe will self-correct um you know to to stop evil um and i think basically like the major way i sort of interpret it you know, came to this interpretation was, uh, was through the stands of our, of our main characters. So, um, of course we've got, um, Jotaro who, uh, controls time with star platinum. Uh, we have uh, the hand, which can, uh, fold space together, can manipulate space. Um, uh, Josuke, um, with crazy diamonds ability to heal is kind of like life and like, you know, the ability to create slash preserve life. Uh, with Rohan, um, heaven's door has the ability to, and this one is a bit of a stretch, uh, but heaven's door has the ability to affect how people perceive reality and how they can act in reality. So it's essentially kind of like free will, uh, to some extent. Um, and then um, Koichi, who, um, uh, again, that's one of the blips we'll save for later on, but his is sort of the, his, the final evolution of Echoes is kind of the, the, the final piece to this theory, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that um, we can dive deeper into now that we are sort of in the, um, the back half, well, not the back half necessarily, but getting to the uh, more serious and more uh, uh, consistent plot line of part four. Heaven's Door is a terrifying stand. It really is. Uh, just It's definitely a force of nature, TM. Mm-hmm. Literally, you could take over the world so easily with it. Like, you're literally just God with that stand. Yeah. I mean, especially with how... Uh, we see it operate later where like Rohan doesn't even need to draw it on a piece of paper. He can draw it in midair. Um, but yeah, it, uh, Heaven's Door is probably one of the most terrifying stands just through implication. It's also interesting how, um, you know, my man kind of do be having the powers of God, right? But he's still kind of be an asshole. So he's been, mm-hmm. he's been using it for um, asshole things as one does. And Josuke still somehow beats the hell out of him <laughs> just because he insulted his hair 
Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. The true force of nature, good will always win, especially if you insult good's hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, I guess we're kind of jumping around for a bit, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think to add on to that is, uh, you know, this is kind of where we find out Josuke's backstory and the reason why he has, why he wears a pompadour and why he gets so angry about it. Um, and that it's re it's really just like the the um okay so two things um i would say the first thing is like it's really just like because we we never find out anything about the person who saved josuke and tomoko um and so i think in that way it's just kind of like um it's like a very like pure distillation of like kindness and goodness you know all all sort of the things that make josuke who he is comes from this random act of kindness and you know you can sort of take that as a domino effect um where um you know just like one person's act of kindness can like lead to sort of all these crazy side-on effects um that you know are are in the case of part four are very positive effects, you know, like Josuke really does have an impact on his tap on Morio and uh, the people therein. Um, and I think the second thing about it is that, I mean, again, to go to the, uh, the universal, I don't know, we have to call it something, uh, the universal goodness theory, I guess. Um, universal is, theory of good. Universal theory of good. That actually sounds a bit better. Yeah um is that it's kind of myth the story is kind of mythic in a way where koichi says to okuyasu like this may not even be the full true story this is just kind of what i'm thinking based on what i've heard um so you know this is kind of like a, a mythic origin story and you know myths are all about um well specifically greek myths are all about like um you know, very distilled forms of like human personality. Um, and they're usually bad things, but in the case of this story that Koichi tells, uh, it's a good thing. You know, it is a, a, a very human distillation of kindness, which all, all human beings are capable of. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> to add to your very spicy theory, um, I would say that that also plays into a part of maybe why, you know, I, I guess why in this universe, hypothetically, am I Ben Shapiro? Who knows? <laughs> let's say that hypothetically. Let's say that hypothetically. King Crimson doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> but yeah, um, to Frick. <laughs> Give me a sec. So that the reason why basically the reason why that good has to win all the time and that it will just constantly keep doing it is because um it is sort of it functions maybe like a domino effect because we see this in like just about every single episode especially in part four because mm -hmm. you know this is the one part where the enemy stand users usually one they do not die and two they very often join up with the you know with the boys mm-hmm and this this could show that the reason why you know good must always win and that it always just has an advantage is because you know there's strength in numbers kira doesn't really work with anybody well except for the the people that he stabbed with the arrow but then it that didn't really do anything because nobody really knew that they were actually they just exactly. sort of did those things for their like you know just they were just sort of a distraction really mm -hmm. from him but you got this, um, this one dude who does this act of kindness for Josuke makes him commit other acts of kindness, which um, in turn make all of the stand users they defeat sort of join up with them. Yeah. So um, it's just, it's, it's more like evil isn't exactly a, in, as nearly as infectious as a good deed is. Like, yeah. Although you see like a lot of stories where, a, you know, someone has a tragic backstory because someone did something evil to them. So they're going to do something evil to the rest of the world. Like 
I feel like more so what happens is someone has a tragic backstory and then decides to do good things because they don't want to repeat it. Of course, the, the other thing does happen, but it just seems more like in reality and in this story in particular, good is more infectious. I mean, you could almost even support this argument by saying that, um, you know, you think about like Dio in part three and it's like, yes, like Dio is, uh, uh, his motivations are evil. He's a very evil character, but a lot of the people who work with him who are associated with him, like their, their willingness to fight, um, you know, the good guys like really like comes from like a place of like love and respect and like all these sorts of you know, positive emotions. It's just that it comes from, you know, all this positive energy is being um, uh, directed to and like in favor of a very evil person. Um, Headcanon, Dio only wears hearts literally all over everything he wears as subliminal messaging (laughs) so that everybody who works with him thinks that he loves them. But in reality, he does not. What about the what about the Aladdin shoes though, Emily? What about those? <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone can explain those. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I also want to, unless you have something more you want to add with this whole morality discussion, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about Rohan. I think I'm done, and I think I would also like to talk about my boy. Yeah, so um, Rohan is a really interesting character. Uh, I what I've sort of what I noticed about this rewatch is that um, he's so Rohan is a dude who um, like the one thing we know about him from these episodes is like he's all about realism and like fully understanding you know, how things work on a mechanical level. Um, But sort of what's ironic about it is that um, he really can't understand people because um, he has such an analytical mind and that he spends, you know, he spends all his time um, drawing and like, you know, enclosing himself in his house. He literally Um, said, I don't like dealing with people. That's why I became a manga artist. Exactly. Uh, And so, and that sort of failure to understand people is like what causes him to lose because, uh, you know, he gets the idea um, that like Josuke becomes angry from Koichi's um, papers, uh, but like he doesn't, he can't fully comprehend like how angry Josuke gets because Koichi like didn't understand that like like Rohan like he only knows people he only knows how people work from books rather than like actually interacting with them in the real world and I think that's kind of Rohan's arc throughout part four is him learning to become more sociable learning how to have friends, have people who he uh, cares for. Um, You know, he always kind of, he will always have a sort of antisocial element to him. That's just the way his character is. Um, But it's it's him learning how to um, become more accepting of people, like learning how to not hate people, basically. Especially since he sort of seems to have very high standards of people that he likes. Like, obviously, he doesn't like Hazamata because Hazamata sucks. Nobody likes Hazamata. Yeah. But um, even, even so, he judges Okuyasu and Josuke, who are both lovely. But, you know, he's, he only likes Koichi, as everybody does. Why does everyone like Koichi so much? Well, he's I a guess very he's reliable, reliable guy. Reliable. Yeah. Um, he, he's but- just a doormat. So, And he becomes less of a doormat. Good for him. Mm-hmm. But, but it's even it, it's, like, uh, even with Josuke, you know, Rohan is moved by Josuke's uh, origin story, for lack of a better word. You know, he may not necessarily like Josuke the person, but he like, you know, he can appreciate what Josuke has gone through. 
and that's why he's so goddamn weird because mm-hmm. my man just sort of hold on let me consult my notes we're saying that for the second time um take a take another shot guys <laughs> um jesus why didn't i organize these I mean, what, I think what part of what makes him such a weird character is that, like, one, his his ability is pretty evil on the surface. It's like mind control, basically. Um, and he's just, like, a weird, like, he looks spiders and stuff. Like, he's a weird dude, but, like, and, like, almost like in any other story, he would be the bad guy, but he's not. He's the good guy. And part of it is him learning from Josuke and Koichi specifically about like how to be how to be better he's just a weird dude I completely lost the point I was gonna make I, I tried to search for it but it's gone <laughs> it's it's just gone oh well, maybe it'll it'll come back to you um, who knows yeah um by the way uh, if, if we could just like sidebar here for a second like um Hazumata is like really really gross as we learn in these episodes <laughs> Like Rohan says, Rohan figures out that like he wants to like Rohan says like he wants to force himself on a classmate, which I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is fucked up. They're <laughs> very glad that um he got punched in the face so many times. Yes. <laughs> he really deserved it. Yeah, not a good guy, has a <laughs> He's just a goblin creature. Uh, um needs to be banished to the doom dimension something i was also kind of thinking is uh is uh i mean we don't see like heaven's door in like its stand form necessarily in these episodes i mean we see a drawing of it but not it like as a stand um and but i think something that's kind of interesting is is that heaven's door is so tiny compared to rohan um you know it's like a little kid with a top hat and like a bow tie like exactly um and i that's almost you know we've had a lot of discussions about how um how like the importance of like analyzing stands with their users uh when it comes to analyzing jojo's bizarre adventure and i feel like heaven's door is kind of an interesting case where it's um uh you know like uh Crazy Diamond is strong because, like, Josuke wants to be strong to protect people. And the same thing with the hand, to some extent. Um, But um, Heaven's Door is very diminutive. Um, And it kind of makes me think that, um, you know, like, even even though Rohan has a very high opinion of himself, um, subconsciously, he kind of sees himself as... um, you know a lot smaller than he actually is um in terms of like his his morality and like his his soul i guess um where you know he doesn't respect people really he doesn't care for anything except for his uh manga um and i think you know uh, again because we'll see later on how rohan like rohan's skill with heaven's door uh grows um like that that skill and that growth really only comes about like after he meets um our joe bros and it's like you know his his stand is becoming stronger because he's becoming a better person by actually not being a shut-in and like interacting with people indeed he actually does good things very Mm -hmm. morally gray lad he is he is and um i don't know how much we can say about this because i despite the name of this podcast i don't know much about um hirohiko araki personally but um <laughs> i don't know the guy but i i find it very funny that um like rohan is popularly considered to be uh araki's self-insert uh for jojo's um like what does that say about him <laughs> Well, they're both manga artists. I, I can probably assume that it, he probably definitely based some aspects, you know, of himself in Rohan, obviously. The whole, mm-hmm. the whole drawing really is like, yeah, they're, 
he's probably you know he's a manga artist he's probably kind of antisocial sometimes well i think uh, as well just um, like exaggerating it and just like how about i make it super weird i believe he said that uh in interviews and stuff that like morio the town is based on um it's like either based on his hometown or it's like based on like the you know the town where he would like to live um and so vibe in morio you know like very rural very peaceful and it's like i don't know i'm i'm just kind of spitballing right now i just think it's weird that his self-insert fan uh his self-insert character is uh is a total weirdo bastard of a man (laughs) and not to mention the fact that he's also his love interest yeah and that he's also a weirdo bastard of a man exactly (laughs) Um, rocky honey are you good (laughs) we're gonna title this episode the show for um for right now it's no longer called i want to fight iraqi it's i want to ask iraqi if he's okay (laughs) how you doing man you all right you doing okay you need some help um and of course, and um, you know, part eight also because it's it's a mirror of part four has a Rohan um, character who is a is a pea farmer or something. Um, Good for him. And it's just like it's so it's so weird. <laughs> also, not to mention that obviously Rohan is his also a love interest because he's the only one that gets like a million really fashionable outfits. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like every literally... time you see him, he's he's different yet equally fashionable. There's literally a Rohan comic where, like, it's a Gucci advertisement. It's great. Um, and he fights a stand that it is it the Gucci bag that's the, it's the stand? Gucci bag. Yes. <laughs> no, I think the Gucci bag has a stand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it, it is. A st- <laughs> um, <laughs> so weird. Um. But yes, um, I, I think, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Rohan is one of the characters who, because when, uh, when I first watched this show, I kind of dismissed Rohan. Like, I sort of felt like Rohan was a little bit more of a, like, he was just kind of thrown in there, like, not given quite the same development as Koichi or Okuyasu. But, you know, on this rewatch, I'm sort of noticing a little bit more about him. Um, something to pay attention to going forward. In this um, watch through the in this watch through the only thing I've really noticed is that Okuyasu is literally like the best character. <laughs> like whenever exactly. I have notes, it's always like so much co- good content about Okuyasu. I'm like, why is this guy so well written? Man, one of my absolute favorite moments in this episode, even though it doesn't go well, um, is just um, Okuyasu, and he's just like hanging out in Rohan's window and he's just got like a massive like shit-eating grin he's like yeah I'm gonna fuck this guy up it's great um it's like that's such an Okuyasu move I feel like love Um, that guy so much yeah uh did you have anything else you wanted to add shall we talk about Chase yes yeah we got to talk about Chase is the first episode with uh Chase in it Um, it's such a tone shift it's it's very like reminiscent of the tone shift from like the middle of part three when they switched over to from like what was the name of the first one stand uh, proud to end of the world yeah exactly yeah it's um, such it's like ah yes it's time to get very intense and also the colors are so freaking muted you yes. know me and the colors in part four they're so colorful and so you know just saturated and good and fantastic and just wacky but they're just it's like gray most of the time or at least super muted and it's just like it's it's interesting because we have like a big tone shift right here from like crazy noisy bizarre town. It's like we are literally just vibing, bro. Nothing mm-hmm. is going on. And then this is like, okay, something's gonna happen. We can smell bad things happening, but we don't quite yeah. know yet. And then this great is the days, shit. This is the shit's getting serious back. part. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you're all right about great days. Um, great days brings back all of the colors, and then it's like, ah, yes, we are determined. Like the forces of good will win. This is exactly. Fact. Like that's, I feel like a lot of your theory just comes through all in Great Days. Great Days is my favorite opening. Totally. Yeah. And Great Days is a fantastic opening. Um, actually, I think part four has some of the best openings. Um, I think what, um, what I like, what I think is interesting about Chase is like, um, you are right. Like it's a lot darker for a start, um, but 
you know, the ways in which it's darker are very um, subtle. Uh, so like there's like the opening shots are of um, it's uh, like cans, like like tin cans with pictures of hands on the front um, and suitcases with like the same thing. Um, and, you know, like if if you're just looking at it at a glance, um, you may not that may not necessarily like click with you. But, you know, we've seen a couple severed hands uh, before and we're going to see more. Um, and so that kind of takes on like a, a, like that's just how deep the darkness in Morio kind of is. And it's totally like something that is not even, uh, you know, process processable on the surface. Um, and I think as well, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, the other part I really like about it is um, there's Chase kind of starts with this imagery of um, so it's an imagery of a heart that says Jojo um, and then it's wrapped in hermit purple um, and I think that's kind of an interesting way to like have a metaphor for Josuke where it's like he's um he's very much his father in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, we see, we see the heart gets destroyed in, um, in chase. Um, so it's kind of like him struggling to really accept that he's, uh, he's part of the Joe stars, even now, you know, having met Jotaro and the like, like, it's not something that's like fully part of who he is. Um, and it's something he struggles with. Um, uh, well, uh, completely not um, thematic at all, but it kind of bothers me, one, that Chase, the song itself, is so short, but that um, the intro doesn't have the guitar solo fr from the full song in it, and that guitar solo is freaking sweet, let me tell you. Um, big, big F. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think Chase, it's just like, it's a lot of like, subtly dark things um I, I, the other big one i'll say and that we'll get into relatively soon is uh you know we see Raimi in the alley um but when we get the shot of the alley um it's all like scratchy and like you know messed up and like that's kind of where you know kira is uh it's kind of where kira becomes like full-on kira you know serial killer kira is the alley um and so just having it be a completely different scratchy art style i think is uh was an interesting artistic choice to like communicate that fact. it's whack also especially it's like i kind of feel like it's a weird place to introduce chase though because one it was like literally yeah. in the middle of the two-part rohan episode and two we hadn't really seen kira yet it's like it's a tone shift for something darker immediately after we think that there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like it would have been more, you know, I feel like it would have made more sense to do it when they knew that something bad was going on again. I agree. I, 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 yeah, I agree. It slaps, but it's just oddly placed. Definitely. Um, one of my favorite images is a meme. Uh, it's like a pink house and then like a very dark house and then another pink house. And it says like crazy noisy bizarre town chase and then uh great days <laughs> um and it's like that really displays like just how different chase is compared to uh crazy noisy bizarre town crazy noisy bizarre i don't know everything <laughs> everything um, is crazy everything is no noisy and everything is bizarre indeed it is it's good because it's Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Otherwise, that'd be uh, false advertising. F. Wow. <laughs> uh, should we talk about some silly stuff now? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so pretty much everything with the Shizuka episode is pretty funny. I <laughs> A little moment I like is uh, when Joseph goes in to buy the diapers. Uh, the guy first shows him, like, the adult diapers. <laughs> um, good content. And it's like... He's like, what are you trying to do here? Um, 
And then just the image of Shizuka rocking the sunglasses and like it's essentially like being made out of makeup um, is just really wacky. It's good. And also we, we all know that Joseph knows how to do makeup from that one time. Yeah, yeah, when he's in drag. At one time. <laughs> and also this tells me, because makeup is hard as someone who does it. Um, this man has probably done it a couple of times. Maybe he's used that strategy a couple more times. It's it's funny because it, it's funny that your mind went to um, the drag. Like, I didn't even think about that. Um, what, my, what I was thinking was, um, like, oh, yeah, like, Joseph has a daughter. So, like, maybe he learned how to put on makeup for her like when she was really young um but nope <laughs> he did drag. drag before she was born bruh <laughs> he knows uh, how he's no he know what he doing <laughs> he you know in his old age he's he watches rupaul's drag race or of course he does even though rupaul's drag race didn't cup wasn't a thing in 1999 um but <laughs> apparently it was now yeah now it is okie dokie do i have anything <laughs> silly i didn't write anything silly down i'm not gonna lie i don't know why i mean the rohan episodes are kind of terrifying honestly yeah like, honestly that's why i was stuff. i think i was distracted i was like remembering about how terrible i was like geez this is scary bro it's like it's like the early parts of part four it's like okay we have one funny episode and then we have um you know people getting turned into books and their faces being peeled off and stuff like that i know Um, there was this one bit where rohan was laughing very evilly and it looked quite silly it definitely took me out of the immersion of how terrifying he was i was like all right this man i will say it's just really funny the payoff at the very end where he's like i've won and then crazy diamond just like punches his face oh yeah that's such a good bit um Especially in that in that out of context video, <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's a good moment. Um, I mean, that's really all the silly stuff I can honestly think of. Same. Um, all right. Well, I guess we're done then. Um, guess we're done. Then. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, if you want to follow me, see all the silly, semi-serious stuff that I do. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas M. Brickman. I also do another podcast, as I mentioned before. It's called Post Game Content. You can listen to Post Game Content wherever you get your, wherever you catch your podcasts. Uh, I do it with my buddy Kevin, and uh, we talk about video games, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Emily, where can people find you on the internet? Y'all ever heard of Twitter? Yeah, at a yeah. humble goose. I'm a very humble goose. It's honk honk. Go- it's a goose. Twitter's icon is a bird. It makes sense. Um, honk, honk. And uh, if you want to keep up with news updates, uh, Emily's continual reading of the Chojo manga. Uh, I'm having can a follow, great time. You can follow the show um, at I Want to Fight AR1 on Twitter, and I Want to Fight Araki on Instagram. Um, and with all that said, We'll see you guys next time when we cover Diamond is Unbreakable episodes 16, 17, 18, and 19. We'll see you guys then.